you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. Media Group proudly present to you the Lone Gunman Podcast, featuring your host Rob Clark, where research comes to shine and myths come to die. Stay tuned. Be right there. up everybody and welcome to the lone gunman podcast yeah you heard that right your boy is back and hopefully in full effect we shall see uh got an exciting show for you today and i'm just going to let you all know a little bit about where i've been for a second and uh you know y'all knew about the last show last march and, and that was supposed to be it you know but with the release of all these files and uh, all this new information that's coming to light and all the good work that people are doing, I'm reinvigorated. I'm reinterested. And I'm back, bitches. Okay? <laughs> so without further ado, <laughs> without further ado, I wanted to bring on my old buddy from Dealey Plaza, UK, and um, prayerman.com. Prayer-man.com. My old buddy Bart Camp. How's it going, man? I'm doing very good. Thank you very much for having me, and I'm very happy actually that you've gone back at it, and uh, hopefully uh, many sh- more shows uh, to follow with uh, interesting uh, talks about this uh, huge enigma called the yeah. JFK assassination. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's November already this year. I mean, it's like, damn, it's already November. You know, and I know you've been working hard. I know you've been laid up for a while. You've had a lot of time to pour through everything, to do a lot of work on this stuff. And just a little aside for for the listeners out there, like me and Bart love to gross each other out sometimes. You know, we'll send each other videos of these huge, you know, pimples (laughs) being popped and, you know, these gnarly cysts being drained. and Sebaceous cysts. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bart, Bart won this past summer when he sent me a photo of his foot. Um, it was disgusting. I've never yeah. seen anything so disgusting in my life, and uh, it looks hella painful, dude. So hopefully yeah, you're back on the mend. Yeah, I am actually. Uh, let's just start since our last conversation uh, that we had about the second floor lunchroom encounter last year in uh, September. 
um, which actually, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is your best listened show, most downloads, most listens. You are uh, correct. Long shot, actually. I think it's about 2,000 more than any of the others. So I was quite chuffed with that. Um, what happened then after that was that um, uh, Stu Wexler of uh, JFK Lancer, during the conference, contacted me uh, through Facebook Messenger and said, congratulations. And I was like, for what? And he goes, you've got an award. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. And he goes, no, no, seriously. Uh, we've given you an award for your uh, your paper on the second floor lunchroom encounter. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, how cool is that? I mean, congratulations. It's been a, it's been a kick-ass year, you know, for you, for you and, yeah. and, you know, JFK research-wise, definitely. It was really good, and uh, I was quite chuffed about that. And uh, I started writing about the next one around Christmas last year. I had nothing better to do, so um, I started putting things together regarding the interrogations, which we're going to talk about tonight. And then in April, I got another award from Dili Plaza UK for the same essay as such. And then after that, I released an update on the second floor lunchroom encounter, which was about, I don't know, 20 odd pages, maybe 30. And um, I did another update while I was in hospital because I was admitted in hospital in June. And for some reason, uh, I, I was operated 11 times on my right foot. And uh, yeah, and uh, for, and I was also on heavy sedation. Uh, I took a lot of morphine, uh, fluid, and also a, a, a tablet called, uh, which is a slow release uh, type of morphine as well. Mm, and that's the good stuff. <laughs> well, to to an extent, uh, it takes care of the pain, uh, definitely. But um, at the same time, uh, I lost interest in in about everything except. Yeah. Uh, the, the paper I was working on, and uh, that was the interrogations one. I was just like, well, I've got nothing else to do. And I wasn't really watching a lot of TV, and I couldn't get into reading books for some reason. So I just started doing the essay instead. The essay itself became uh, just over 300 pages. And right now, I've had in this period of time since the release in September and until now, so we're talking just over two months, I've added about 20-odd pages to it um, for a next uh, next update as such. Um, that, so in a way, the, the hospitalization of myself, uh, the only positive thing about that whole matter was that I basically put all my energy towards uh, putting that paper together. And the thing was also that uh, I really uh, overlooked how big it actually is. And this is also the reason why I asked uh, can we do this in two episodes because the second floor lunchroom encounter one is at this point about, on the top of my head, about 135 pages. But this one right now is 328. Ooh. So um, it's a bit much to discuss this um, within the hour. And um, the... The bit that I focused on at first was actually the participants that were involved in the interrogations and involved with Oswald's transfer between his cell and the interrogation room and the um, lineups as such. But then, of course, there's also the whole legal matter. And that's what about roughly about the last 100 pages are about. And they uh, by itself are quite an interesting uh, subject. 
um, a lot of people know about certain bits, but um, I managed to get hands on some of the documents that I doubt a lot of people have seen before. So I thought, well, to give them uh, to do that justice, I think it's better to uh, discuss that in the second half. Um, first half is basically about the, uh, as I said, about the participants. Um, well, why don't I just kick off right away from the beginning about the setting? So Oswald's basically uh, arrested in a Texas theater and um, Jerry Hill and a few of his uh, colleagues drive Oswald to uh, City Hall where there's obviously fo there's footage of that, video footage of, uh, of, of Oswald uh, with his shirt off his shoulders uh, being uh, frog-marched uh, through the corridors and uh, dropped off inside an interrogation room. There's also footage of uh, Billy Lovelady actually sitting inside Captain Fritz's office while um, Oswald is basically being brought in. And uh, this gets to um, uh, quite an interesting beginning actually by itself because the question is like, what actually happens with Oswald while he's seated, uh, seated down? And uh, you get to uh, who's actually uh, interrogating Oswald. Um, now, everybody thinks that um, Will Fritz was uh, interrogating him. And he did, of course, he did that. He was the main guy. But um, there, there are some uh, discrepancies from the very beginning because um, officially, um, Richard Stovall and Gus Rose are... Um, noted as uh, the two people that actually talk to, not interrogate, but talk to uh, Oswald as such. And um, there is already the first uh, discrepancy uh, being, being noted. Um, Stovall says in his Warren Commission testimony that once asked by his name, he gives it as Lee Oswald, whereas Gus Rowe says that he gives it as uh, um, Alec Heidel. Um, that by itself is quite a strange thing, but it becomes even weirder. And that's the fact that um, Joe Cody, who uh, was also uh, there, and uh, Joe Cody is actually more famous for the fact that he sold the gun to Jack Ruby. Um, Ruby was a friend of him. And uh, the gun that he sold to Ruby was the gun that Ruby used to kill Oswald. Oh, and... Wow. Uh, <laughs> And Cody himself actually says uh, that he interrogated Oswald at the very beginning. So um, that is quite weird, odd. And, um, but it gets even, even better. And that's the fact that Jim Lavelle, and uh, Jim Lavelle is still alive. And Jim Lavelle actually uh, starts talking uh, in quite a few videos. Um, I'm not going to talk about what video such and such. I mean, you have to download the uh, paper either at my site or at the Dealey Plaza UK, UK site. Um, it will take a while to load since it's uh, 300-something pages. And in that, I basically point out that... Um, that Lavelle makes several claims that he basically interrogated Oswald, but only with regards to the Tippett murder as such. That um, is quite interesting because if you look at the early documentation of Lavelle, 
he makes absolutely no mention of this so-called interrogation whatsoever. And I get the feeling that Lavelle is fibbing, oh, better yet, lying about the fact that he interrogated Oswald. You see, Lavelle wasn't there at that time when, because he was sent out immediately. And same with uh, Stovall and Rose, they were sent out for roof paint. Right. Um, so if you have to believe all these people, then before Fritz actually gets to talk to him, Cody, Stovall, Rose, and Lavelle all talk to Oswald just before. And especially Lavelle cannot be supported at all uh, with any documentation, as I basically said. So then Fritz basically gets hold of him. Now, Fritz comes back from the Texas School Book Depository with Elmer Boyd. And there's a picture of uh, Fritz leaving. Uh, the, uh, he's on the front steps, and uh, Boyd has got a rifle. And they're basically being... Uh, and they, uh, they make it back to the Dallas police station after 2 o'clock. And they start, uh, Fritz starts interrogating Oswald around that time. Um, Fritz himself doesn't use a tape recorder. Now, there's, although you could condemn him for that, it wasn't really the practice of the Dallas police to do that because, first of all, they didn't have one. And according to Fritz's Warren Commission testimony, he said that he put in a quest twice and twice it was denied as such. Yeah, it'd be nice if we had some audio of Oswald actually being interrogated. <laughs> I think the whole plan, the whole thing would fall apart like a deck of cards. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, <laughs> I've read on Bill Kelly's site that there are apparently FBI recordings as such. Um, I've asked him. I haven't gotten an answer. Um, I, um, I wonder whether that's actually true. Um, the FBI... Uh, in the the agents of the FBI, which are Jim Hosty and Jim Bookhout. Now, Bookhout was the liaison between the DPD and the FBI, and right. he was practically there almost every day. Bookhout was there when Oswald was brought in, whereas Hosty came in later. Hosty roughly came in at quarter to three. And that's a whole story by itself, and I actually should uh, mention this a little bit. Um, uh, it's a, like a subchapter in my uh, paper. Hosty walks in and gets into the uh, basement, the same basement where Oswald gets shot uh, 48 hours later, less than 48 hours later. And he um, he walks up to Jack um, Revel, who's a criminal intelligence. And he said, like, uh, you know, who who did it? Oh, we got this guy called Oswald. And he says, like, I knew it, that it was him. And also, he said, like, what's more important, he says, like, that he was capable of killing Oswald. Now, that last bit is um, in dispute. It's a hot dispute by everyone. But what happens is that Revel tells Captain Ganaway about this. And Ganaway says write a report about this. So on that very same day, there's a report written about the fact that the FBI has said that A, it was on their radar, and B, it was capable of killing. And that report gets the DPD into hot water with Hoover. Hoover calls Shanklin and 
oh, sorry, I've got to add the fact that Jesse Curry tells this on the t- uh, in front of the press makes it even worse. So A, the report, but B, the fact that blabbermouth Jesse Curry just starts yapping to the press about this, that the FBI was aware of Oswald and the tendencies that he was a dangerous criminal who could kill, is basically gets Hoover on the phone right away and he calls Shanklin and he says, I want a retraction. And he threatens with everything that is in his power. And... So he calls, uh, Shanklin calls Curry, and Curry eventually does uh, a sort of, like a rough, a sort of retraction as such. Not fully apologize, but he does say like, yeah, you know, I talk too much, blah, 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 blah. And that's that's also one of um, Hoover's main complaints about the whole thing, is the fact that the press is everywhere. And as you can see from all the videos that are present, uh, on YouTube or in my channel, the Lone Gunman um, channel, um, it um, it's evident that the press, it's, you know, you've got to remember this, you've got a really tiny corridor and um, there is a, one of the offices, it's just like a, a, a door with a large window in it where everybody can look through. And then if you walk in there and you go uh, to the right after about uh, 15, 20 feet, you've got a smaller office and that's where Fritz and, Oswald and other uh, law enforcement agency representatives are um, busy interrogating Oswald. And the world press is basically just outside that room, which is room 317. I've got a a diagram also uh, in the beginning of that paper that shows exactly where it's at. And um, you couldn't, you can't even imagine something like that in the present day, nor anywhere else. I mean, it'd be something out of a Hollywood film, yeah, with all the drama. But um, this is exactly what happened. And um, even when Oswald arrived, there was already various representatives of the press already there. But when you look at it, like, later that day, the evening, and also the next day, then you see, like, these massive television cameras, which, you know, which are the equivalent of the ones that are used in the present day. I mean, the present day ones are even smaller, but we're talking about these massive tripods on wheels. And this corridor yeah, is... They have studios now. Yes, exactly. And they had them on location. You see, now people have portable equipment, you know, and you can get good good quality vi- video with a, with a small camera these days. But back then, you know, those things weighed a ton. And um, they were just blocking up um, the whole corridor. And... In the end, there was about, I guess, about 150, 200 uh, press people in that corridor. And you can really see this when while Oswald is basically being uh, transported and escorted by the Dallas police from his cell back to uh, either to a, a lineup or, uh, or, or back to his cell as such. Now, um, I just want to go back uh, to uh, Fritz. Uh, Fritz himself didn't use, as I said, he didn't use a tape recorder. But what he did do was uh, prepare a, a long statement. Now, the funny thing is about the statement is that the statement isn't even signed or is actually um, says that it is done by him as such. But um, since there's no one else who did it, uh, did these interrogations uh, in such detail, and also what he writes about, it, it can be easily assumed that it was written by by Fritz. Um, and of course, there are the notes. Um, the notes are the so-called interrogation notes, the, which are hand scribbled. 
mm-hmm. where, of course, there are um, quite some important bits about uh, Oswald's whereabouts uh, during the assassination and just before the assassination. Of, um, he said he was in the domino room. And uh, more importantly, he says that he's out front. Uh, he's out with Bill Shelley in front. And um, what you, what a lot of people think is that these notes were take, uh, made uh, during the interrogation, but right. they're not because they're not contemporary because at some point he starts talking about the deceased, for instance. So it's, um, it's safe to assume that um, there might be part of it written down uh, on, on the 22nd, but there's definitely stuff written down on the 24th or the 25th. And some right. of that then basically got used in this type report as such. Well, I can, I can tell you this, Bart, just from um, looking looking at the, the Fritz's notes thing, it, it just in order to refute that asshat, Ralph Sinkay, um, I actually found in his Warren Commission testimony where Fritz pretty much told him that he, he did not take notes during the interrogation, that, that those notes came like three days afterwards, after Oswald was killed, he decided he better start writing down what what he had talked about, you know, or how the interrogation went before he forgot, so that he could, you know, so that he could have them. Oh, he was an old man, and he'd already had a 40-odd-year career inside the Dallas Police Department. There's a thing about Fritz. Fritz had his own fiefdom, basically. He was his own... Well, tyrant is a really harsh, but he was running the show and he didn't like to be told by anyone, definitely not by the chief of police or anyone how to run an investigation. But what's more important this week, I just for the hell of it, because um, I was um, I posted a a link to an article from the Dallas Observer that uh, was writing about the uh, documents that have been released recently. And in that, and Greg Parker mentioned this, because I overlooked it uh, for some reason, go strap in, all of you, but Fritz had a 98% clearance rate. Now, he was robbery and homicide. Now, I looked up the crime rates, and in 1963, there were 113 murders, 488 robberies. Now, if we just look at the murders, and we just take 98%, we're looking at roughly, He's solving two murders a week. Now, 98%, you know what You know what, when I hear 98%, I'm thinking Robert Mugabe about a election result, right? <laughs> yeah. Or, or uh, a, um, a, like somebody in Belarus, you know, uh, a total dictator who's running the show and then all of a sudden does a, uh, uh, or North Korea, for that matter, yeah. if, there's, yeah. if there's an election of some sort, like, you know, I compared it like to a really dodgy election. Um, Dallas police crime rates, uh, solving them these days, um, hinges around the 50% marker. And I find it hard to believe that it was 98%, first of all, especially in relation to the 50% now, because you've got much better techniques, you've got much more technology at your disposal and so forth, um, you know, so, and that basically also uh, coincides with the fact that um, the setting in the 60s, you see, um, uh, I've said this before, you've got to try and look look at this case through 1960s glasses, not 2017 glasses. 
And it's very important, like, what setting, what was the setting? And, you know, lynching was a thing that was happening there. Racism was a major thing that was happening there. KKK were very popular. There was quite a few members of the Dallas police that were part, were members of the KKK as such. And oh, yeah. what also is being written about is Fritz. And uh, I gave, um, I give two examples in my paper about is violence um, towards suspects. Um, number one, uh, most importantly, is Buell Fraser. Buell yeah, Fraser yeah. was interrogated, and he basically mentions this in the video. And I link everything I mentioned with regards to video and, and all that is in that paper. So you just have to click on it, and it will take you there. And um, Buell Fraser basically mentions that um, once he gets a statement just shoved in front of him that says like that he's a co-conspirator. And he says, I'm, and, 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 and Frazier at that time is a 19-year-old scared kid. And uh, he at least had the wits to say, I'm not going to sign that. Uh, after which uh, Will Fritz raises his hand um, to, to whack him one. And um, to which Fraser responded that he was going to have uh, one hell of a fight. <laughs> at that point, uh, Fritz, uh, called out his office. And uh, that's pretty much it. And then there is a bit about a um, black defendant, which is a few years before um, the assassination as such. And if I'm not, uh, his name was Tommy Lee Walker. And he was actually convicted and sent to the electric chair as such. And uh, Tommy Lee was brought before Captain Fridge, who questioned him for hours not about any involvement in the robbery for which he had been arrested, but about uh, a person called Venice Parker who was murdered. And Tommy Lee said that Fritz told him that he had received a phone call implicating him in the crime, but Fritz had not received such a call at all. And he said that there were witnesses and that police knew what he had done. And he, you know, Fritz was quite effective in getting uh, admissions of guilt out of people. And his techniques worked in this case as well, because um, he basically threatened with violence from um, some of the um, uh, other police officers. And he said that Fritz asked repeatedly if he had to bring the men in from upstairs. Uh, and when he balked at signing the confession, and he, he basically believed that the reference to the two officers he'd early He'd seen earlier beating a man. Uh, there's something I just want to investigate a little bit more, but uh, even these two reports are already, uh, you know, worried, worrying. Yeah. Well, and a quick question for you, Bart. I know that we ran across before that, that um, Buell Fraser's lie detector test results have been classified. Have no, they're nowhere to be seen. They just don't know where they are. No, they, they are. They're in I've seen the... Uh... You've seen the listing. I've seen the listing for it, but I, I, I don't know if they got released in the new files or not. I have not been able to uh, check that yet. I didn't know if you'd well, run across them or not. No, I haven't seen anything DPD related. Um, the only thing I've seen is the majority of it is CIA. Um, I went through the listings of 5,000 documents this morning and yesterday. I just kept scrolling. Uh, I'll send so, that to you with, with the relevant numbers and uh, I'd love to see, see if you can find it. I'd love to see that. Okay. Um, the I didn't know it was uh, held at NARA. Um, I thought it was just um, 
um, disappeared, like many other documents. Um, but uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I'd love to see that. It was still being held in full uh, secret yeah. uh, for national security purposes last yeah. time I checked on it. Because the jig is up if it comes out, that's for sure. It's one of these things that if they show that, then uh, it's the same as Roy Truly's deleted Warren Commission testimony. We were promised this a year ago, and uh, uh, we paid, I think it was 80 or $90 towards it. And there, you see, NARA has, uh, you can get like photocopies and uh, um, of, of, of the materials that are there. But if they have something like, in this case, a Dictabelt recording, you see, this is one thing you got to know is that all the testimony was recorded. You know, Victoria Adams, you know, Roy Trudy, Marion Baker, and so forth. And all these recordings pretty much disappeared. And by some crack in the web, there's a listing that Dennis Morissette pointed out to me uh, last summer. Uh, no, the summer of 2016. And said, like, well, there's Roy Trudy deleted testimony. And I go... Why would there be deleted testimony? And uh, we requested it. And the, um, the things that they can't copy, like a Dictabelt recording, they're being sent off to uh, trusted companies of NARA, and they basically make a digital copy of, you, uh, of it for you. So they charge us $90. We paid it. They took the money of the credit card of my, my friend and uh, of an ROKC guy. And they basically um, said, like, we're going to have this in about four weeks. And then after four weeks, we inquired and they said like, oh, um, then the uh, people that were supposed to do the copy of it, they came back and he said, I've never had this before. And I said, what? Well, they've pulled it back. And I go, what does that mean? He goes, well, what they're going to do is they're going to send it to somebody else. And then they're going to get the recording back and then they're going to transcribe the recording. And then they're going to see if they can release it in full as such. And in four weeks time, we'll, uh, we'll let you know. And that was supposed to be, I think it was October, November last year. Well, we're still waiting. So, um, and I've got uh, Dennis Morissette. He said to me that he found uh, at NARA an interview of Dave Ferry. And he also was, yeah, and he said, uh, I'm going to get it this week. And uh, (laughs) he's still waiting. And I was talking to him on Facebook Messenger and I said, forget about it. You're not going to get it. I said, if you get it, if you'll get it, I'll be like, I'll be very chuffed for you. and I definitely want to hear it as well, of course. And uh, it, it would be quite a catch. But uh, nah, I doubt, I doubt they'll get that out. But maybe it, because of the documents coming out, maybe it will happen. And I hope so, because, you know, um, I, I thought there was, um, out of all the documents that have come out, there isn't very, not a lot to my interest. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff for, uh, I think, for John Newman and Malcolm Blunt, uh, who uh, do a deep CIA re- and uh, Bill Simpich who do deep CIA research. I think there's plenty for them to delve into. But uh, oh, yeah. when, when it comes to the bit, like I bet John Newman's got an enormous hard on right now with all those files <laughs> that just came. Out. Yeah, oh, he's been busy downloading. You said on Facebook, but you know, and I mean, every time it's like what three thousand documents, six thousand documents. So it's quite a job to do. Yeah, so. a lot um, of CIA Cuba stuff, you know. Yeah, there's stuff on Morales, there's stuff on Hunt, there's, uh, there's stuff on Lucien Conan, uh, even Willem Oldmans, a Dutch journalist, um, there's uh, uh, JM Wave. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
but there's not much about the actual crime in Dallas. There's only like bits about like what ranking requested through from the CIA and some correspondence and or the FBI between the CIA. Um, for me, the only important document um, that I also uh, used to update my uh, this interrogations essay uh, with is uh, um, uh, a November 24th document from uh, J. Edgar Hoover. And that by itself is very interesting because he basically lambasts the uh, Dallas Police Department, obviously, for uh, not protecting Oswald. And uh, he claims that he called Os um, the Dallas Police and let them know that uh, there were death threats. So in that Hoover document, he lambasts, like I said, he lambasts the police, but he also um, tries to cover his rear. And at the same time, what I thought was a really interesting find is um, the, I know everyone always talks about the so-called Katzenbach memo. And what it actually is, is that Katzenbach copied some of that bit, some of that like uh, Oswald being the uh, assassin and he had more accomplices and stuff like that. Um, that bit actually comes from Hoover, and he actually mentions this in on the bottom of the second page of this particular document. Um, that by itself, I thought, was quite interesting. And, uh, and of course, um, uh, Hoover is also very busy uh, covering his, uh, his rear. And on top of that, let me just quote from this document because that's quite—it's it's quite important. Oswald having been killed today after our warnings to the Dallas Police Department was inexcusable. It will allow, I'm afraid, a lot of civil rights people to raise a lot of hell because he was handcuffed and had no weapon. There are bound to be some elements of our society who will holler their heads off that his civil rights were violated, which they were. That is quite a, an omission. Um, yeah, let's see. From hoover as such now um, i just want to get back to the interrogations because we drifted a little bit um i want to talk about the so-called uh, so-called john reed interrogation technique now uh, this is a technique that uh, if i'm not mistaken that was brought up by bill kelly at first but uh, greg parker did a much more in-depth essay about it and john reed was a lawyer and a former police officer from chicago and uh, in 1947, he, um, he helped establish modern polygraph techniques, uh, which, were, which were called the control question technique. Now, the read technique itself uses factual analysis, where uh, each individual is evaluated with respect to specific observations related to the crime. And of course, there's behavior analysis. And um, which is a non-accusatory question and answer session involving both standard investigative questions and structured behavior provoking questions to elicit behavior symptoms of truth or deception from the person being interviewed. Now, this technique basically consists of specific elements. Number one is the confrontation. Then there is a theme development. Then there are stopping denials overcoming objections, getting the suspect's attention, then the suspect loses resolve and going through alternatives. 
and bringing the suspect into conversation, and finally, confession. Now, there is no law that is against a police officer lying to you. Yeah? So if you are... Yeah, they still can. If you are... Exactly. If you are basically in an interrogation room, the police officer can concoct a story which is complete hooey, but he presents it as truth. And there's no law against that whatsoever. So they can coerce you into giving a statement that you've done it, although you had nothing to do with it. And that brings me back to the Tommy Lee Walker thing. Tom, the Tommy Lee Walker aspect is a, is, is a brilliant um, example of... Uh, of, of, of this read uh, interrogation technique. Now, I I just rattled off all these 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 uh, bullet points, and um, of course, um, you know, every police officer uses this that at their own behest. So it's possible that they skip items two, three, and four, for instance, and just go straight at it because they can get away with it. Um, it's uh, it's a very very important thing to understand that this um, that this is something that was widely in use. This technique was, um, although it originated in Chicago, it was used nationwide as such. Um, I want to go back to Fritz for a second because um, in that in that respect is that um, you know of course there was no tape recorder. The notes were taken, God knows when. Yeah, uh, not not at that time. That's for sure. Um, that's also, by the way, confirmed by some of the police officers that Fritz wasn't the guy who basically uh, um, wrote down uh, a Q&A as such. He wouldn't do that. Yeah, and they, uh, they, resemble, uh, they resemble book outs notes a lot. Yeah, well, that is another thing. Sean Murphy pointed that out. That's a really good point to bring up. Um, book out himself and the FBI's uh, technique uh, was at that time was that they would write and write these uh, notes down. And then once they'd done a typed report, they would destroy the handwritten notes as such. And that was common FBI practice. Now, uh, not for Jim Hosty, um, because Jim Hosty actually paid the price big time uh, because of uh, uh, him uh, talking all that stuff with Jack Revel. And um, I think I'm right about, I've got documentation plus in my writings, I think it accumulates to almost like 20 pages about it. Just that little bit in the garage downstairs. And uh, um, Hosey's notes uh, survived somehow. He said he didn't keep them. He said he destroyed them. But um, he, um, in the 70s, he came out uh, with a book. And uh, lo and behold, uh, the notes uh, serviced as such. Um those notes, as you, if you, I've got them in my uh, paper. Um, they don't, they're not very coherent at all. Um, even though he's got like sections made up, the actual uh, phrases in there are are in no relation to each other. So, the first one has got no relation with the second one. The second, no relation with the third one, and so forth. Um, the um, on top of that, um, Hosty himself gave a. a um, a uh, alternative version of it, uh, what actually happened as such. Uh, let me just see if I can just dig that out and uh, read it out for you because this is quite interesting. Um, pardon the scrolling. 
there with me. Yeah, I have his. I have his. Uh, I got a copy of his book. Um, that came out in the mid '90s, I think it was. And uh, yeah, I remember the uh, interrogation section, and and uh, wasn't wasn't too terribly much there. No, that's the thing, and uh, it's only like a few um, a few notes. All oh, right, here I've got them. So. Um, his notes himself, uh, one thing is that uh, it mentions a first floor entrance office that could point towards um, Oswald's position um, during the assassination. And the other bit is that uh, chose to go home because of confusion. Yeah. And that bit is also related to uh, who gave him that choice. And, uh, you know, that's what Ed Ledoux brought up. He goes, who gave him that choice uh, to go home? And um, Oswald said that Bill Shelley said so. And Bill Shelley denied this, of course. Um, this matter was also broached by uh, Thomas Kelly of the Secret Service. Now, Larry Hapan and I wrote a, quite, a, quite a piece about this whole thing, about these notes. And uh, he said that there was uh, nothing to suggest any ulterior motive for uh, O.C. to suppress them as such. I tend to go along with him because uh, it, there's no real smoking gun in it as such. But in his book, Simon Oswald, it basically goes like this. Okay, now, Lee, you work at the Texas School Book Depository, isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. When did you start working there? About October 15th. What did you do down there? I was just a common laborer. Now, did you have access to all floors of the building? Of course. Tell me what was on each of these floors. The first and second floors of offices, the third and floor, fourth floor are storage, so are the fifth and the sixth. And that's not true. The third and the fourth floor are offices as well. And you were working there today. Is that right? Yes. Were you there when the president motorcade went by? Yeah. Where were you when the president went by the book depository? I was eating my lunch in the first floor lunchroom. What time was that? About noon. Were you ever on the second floor around the time the president was shot? Oh, yeah, I went up there to get a bottle of Coca-Cola from the machine for my lunch. You see, this also indicates that he took the, got the Coke before he had his lunch, right? Not after, not after the shooting, before. Right. But where were you when the president actually passed your building? On the first floor in the lunchroom. So, and then it says, and you left the depository, isn't that right? Yeah. When did you leave? Well, I figured with all the confusion, there wouldn't be any more work to do that day. Now, that's pretty good, actually. And this is also basically um, when you look at the um, reports, the joint report of Hostie and Bookout, and you look at the Bookout report the day after, because the thing is, Hostie paid a massive price because he was pulled out those interrogations. And he was not to be seen again during any of the other interrogations on the 23rd or the 24th as such. And the book out basically was the only guy of the FBI at that point who basically wrote the report on the 24th. And that, if you compare the Hosty book out report compared to the book out report, then you're looking at a, a, a total contradiction. Yeah, I think and this because, is where the like, second Oswald, floor lunch Oswald wasn't very happy with uh, with uh, James Hostie. I don't believe. No. that's another thing um, that he that he 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 stood up and he he got really angry. Overall, is that what they said was that 
Oswald was overall very calm. Some of them said he was arrogant. But also what Fritz said was that he was trained to go against interrogation. So he must have had training as such. Now we all, Or he was telling the truth. You know? He was telling the truth, but also he was lying. But the thing was, we also know that he had some sort of connection with intelligence. And they right. must have trained him one way or another. And especially after being in Russia for three years as well. And being interviewed by CIA. And being interviewed by FBI and so forth. Um, you know, he's had some experience. Um, book out himself. Um, the good thing is that... Um, I happened to have a picture of him without knowing. And it was only that Dennis Morissette put uh, two and two together when he had, I uh, uh, found a new, uh, uh, he got a newspaper, uh, newspaper clipping uh, from Steve Rowe. And Steve Rowe basically gave that to Dennis and he goes, that's book out. And it was a newspaper clipping from, I think, 67 or 68. And then he saw one of my pictures where there's a guy smoking a pipe inside uh, room 317, robbery and homicide. And um, uh, and that's James Bookout. So uh, he's only been, uh, I think it was about four, four, four or five months ago, uh, basically being ID'd as such. Um, the FBI had its fingers everywhere. Um, when you look at Hosty and Bookout inside the interrogation, but then, of course, there was Vincent Drain, and uh, a lot of people don't know about him. But Drain was basically attached, glued to Henry Wade and Jesse Curry. He stood behind Henry Wade during uh, the press conference, one of the press conferences. And uh, there's also pictures of him in the corridor just before uh, that press conference as such. And he just stands, he's wearing a hat, and he just stands. He's just seen right behind Wade and Curry. And uh, there's a couple of shots of that that I put in there as well. Um, and on top of that, Hoover had FBI informants. And one of the FBI informants was Harry Holmes. And Harry Holmes is the U.S. Postal Inspector. And he claimed he was in and out the building on the 22nd and on the 23rd. Although there's no corroboration of that. But... Um, he was there on the 24th. He, uh, and uh, this is the problem uh, for the whole case. And uh, good for us, bad for them, for the deniers, the lone nutters, is that Holmes wanted to be part of the old boy network, but he wasn't. And on top of that, he blabbed. He blabbed way too much. He gave the game away, especially regarding the second floor lunch from the counter. Uh, um, the actual interrogation itself I already wrote about in the um, second fl uh, the second floor lunchroom encounter of fakery. Um, there's got um, you know Fritz Bookout, Hosty, and and Holmes uh, are, um, written about uh, in great detail. And uh, he gave the he gave the the, the gig away basically uh, with regards um, Oswald's position uh, being on the first floor instead of uh, inside um, the second floor lunchroom. Um, from the old boy network regarding the coppers, there are quite a few police officers. And um, I spent quite a bit of time, and also thanks to Steve Rowe and uh, Dennis Morissette, managed to uh, ID uh, a lot of people. And, you know, I'll just give you some names. Uh, we've got C.W. Brown. We've got Charles Doherty. 
We've got Elmer Boyd. Elmer Boyd's still alive, by the way, just like uh, Lavelle, of course, Jim Lavelle. And you got Billy Senkel. You got Gus Rose. We'll talk of him. Talk about him in a minute. Mm-hmm. Then Richard Stovall. Um, you've got uh, Richard Sims, and we'll talk about him in a minute. Adamchik, Hank Moore, and Joe Cody, and uh, they all like were either involved with transportation, or uh, uh, between the lineups or the jail to the interrogation room. But there's also a few that actually sat in on the interrogation because we know that Oswald sat at first cuffed with his hands behind his back. Then he got his hands cuffed in front of him. But he had a police officer sitting at each side next to him. One of those police officers was Elmer Boyd. And um, another guy who was involved heavily was Richard Sims. And uh, if you read their testimony, it's laughable because they both have a case of amnesia, especially when it comes to what did Oswald say. If you go through the Warren Commission testimony, and I dragged and dropped the uh, pages of the Warren Commission testimony or copied and pasted the actual text, and uh, they've got a really bad case of amnesia. And Harold Weisberg wrote, especially about Richard Sims, you know, you ask why Richard Sims is actually a police officer, because he doesn't remember anything, nothing. It's, it's, it's just shocking. It's, yeah. You really ask yourself and go, what on earth is going on here? This guy doesn't, this guy says, I don't recall. I have no recollection of that. I don't know what he asked. And, you know, were you there when he asked all the questions? Yeah. Well, what was being asked? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> and this is how it goes on. And, and this is the whole thing. Um, uh, you can talk, uh, you've got them too, but you've got Gus Rose as well. Now, Gus Rose was... Uh, of course, they had one of the first interrogations, and then he was sent off to search the house uh, at, the, at the Payne's house. Right. And, uh, they, were running, they were running Fraser back and forth too. Yeah, that's there's uh, in the um, in my paper. I've got uh, video footage and uh, some good pictures of uh, actually of Fraser and uh, Lily Mae Randall actually leaving the room three one seven. And uh, shot through the window and also from the corridor when they just come around, come out of that room. But um, also, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the documentary uh, Thin Blue Line. And uh, this is a documentary from the late 80s. And um, this is a really shocking documentary with regards injustice from the Dallas police. Uh, I think it's on YouTube. Just type it in. And um, Gus Rose comes off really bad again as somebody who just basically has pumped out a statement and just shoves it right in front of the uh, suspect and uh, basically says go on sign that as such and you could see that whole approach is very similar to what fritz did you know with frazier as such just have a statement shove it in front of him and say sign that or otherwise you know you're going to get whacked one way or another with my hands or with a bat or by somebody else and um, which is just quite interesting that uh, this so-called technique between quotation mark um, is actually being applied as such. Um, yeah. yeah. In that case, you can always claim a 98 percent uh, clearance rate if you do it like that. Of course, you know, sure. um, yeah. So um, then, of course, the Secret Service comes in because the president has been whacked. And uh, what I found the, mo- uh, the most surprising bit of the uh, uh, Secret Service bit, um, there are uh, a few agents uh, that basically walked in. And, uh, of course, we're talking about Forrest Sorrells, who was the lead agent. 
But he talks to Oswald at 4 p.m. by himself, you know, A, because Sorrell's arrived at the Texas School Book Depository, first of all. He stayed there. He wanted. He also, he said he was surprised that the building wasn't sealed off yet. And he didn't get there until just before one o'clock. So almost half an hour after the deed, the building still wasn't sealed, although DPD claimed it was. But the back end, because he just walked in through a back entrance, just like that. Now, the Texas School Book Depository, if you look at the drawings, it's got several exits on the side and on the north side of the building. Um, and he just walked in. Now, um, he didn't record it, nor did he write anything down. Now, the notes that did survive are like half a page of a little notepad. And they were actually found by accident in the uh, Warren Commission notes because the bottom half was regarding Jack Ruby. Because Sorrell's talked to Jack Ruby quite quick after he had snuffed Oswald. But there are some scribbles, and these notes, they don't reflect the amount of time spent during the interrogations. You see, Sorrell's was there from the afternoon until Oswald was sent to bed right. <laughs> in, his, in, his, in his cell. Nor is it on the 23rd, and he was there on the 24th as well, in the morning. So, and... Um, The the whole bit that the way it's written uh, on, on on that piece of paper, it's well, it's nothing. It that would be like a two minute conversation between you and me, uh, summarization as such. It also looks like it's um, it looks like the page. There's a page before that. There's probably another. Page, there's probably one or two pages before that. That's what it looks like. Now then you've got Inspector David Kelly. Thomas, sorry, Thomas Kelly. And he actually, um, he, he writes a, quite a big report. I think it's three pages, if I'm not mistaken. And in that report, let me just quote that quick. I'll have to scroll, sorry. Oh, you're right. I guess we'll have to wait till 2039 for the, for the rest of the Board Commission records to be sealed. Yeah, I have no idea whether that's going to happen, but yeah. if they, because the way things disappear... Um, in this report, uh, actually, I've got two reports because one of them was written by him where they actually did a reenactment of the second floor uh, lunchroom encounter of, of, of a suspect, basically, of an agent actually grabbing, um, leaving the so-called sniper's nest, dropping the rifle and going down the stairs. And they timed it at two and a half minutes, which is just a complete joke because that goes against everything that basically... The brought forward because they said it was 75 or 90 seconds such now kelly basically um asks him some questions and in the in the passage on the second page he says i asked him if he viewed the parade and he said he had not i then asked him if he had shot the president and he said he had not i asked him if he had shot governor Connolly, and he said he had not now fritz's notes the handwritten notes co corroborate everything except I asked him if he viewed the parade and he said he had not. As a matter of fact, Kelly is the only one that actually says that Oswald did not view the parade. He's the only person. Mark Bookhout right. says this, uh, Hopsey or Fritz or anyone else, basically. 
Kelly's report also confirms Fritz's notes with regards to eating lunch in the domino room and the mention of Junior Jarman and the short little Negro boy, which in all likelihood is Harold Norman. Also, lunch, the, he even matches the lunch description uh, that coincides with, um, with Fritz's note as well. Um, so from, from that, um, you've got Secret Service, you've got FBI, you've got DPD, but there were other people there as well. And this is a bit of a problem because we know that we had, um, they had U.S. Marshals in there and they had ATF agents in there. Now, Robert Nash is a U.S. Marshal and uh, I've got some pictures of him and that's about it. I uh, have been trying to find his notes, but I haven't been uh, lucky as such yet. Um, regarding the ATF, there is uh, a guy called Frank Ellsworth. Now, Frank Ellsworth is um, written about uh, quite a bit in uh, Dick Russell's book, uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Right. And he said he was present during the first interrogations. And he stated that he did not recall seeing any panic in Oswald. He appeared to be awfully pleased with himself, which is just rubbish. But anyway, uh, with a smug look on his face, as Oswald was surrounded by 14 agents and officers and he didn't look disturbed at all. He had the cat ate the canary look on his face the whole time. Right. So that's another version of being arrogant, obviously. Um, I haven't found any written evidence available of... ATF agents being present during these interrogations. You know, in Fritz's notes, he actually mentions that Bukhard and Hosey are in there and that Sorrells is present as well. But he doesn't make any mention of ATF agent. However, the when it comes to the search through the Texas School Book Depository, there is a mention of Frank Ellsworth. And I think it's in a report by, I think it's Biddy Senkel, if I'm not mistaken. Um... Oh, no, in Sims and Boyce joint report, he's basically uh, mentioned um, uh, alongside with another officer from the uh, alcohol tax department. It should be firearms, but anyway, that's how it's written down. Um, then there are highway patrolmen. They've been photographed as well. They're the guys wearing uniforms and big stats and hats, and they've got these belts on. Where They're also ones that go uh, crossways or um, uh, up in front of your chest. Um, I've got some pictures in there, but other than that, we have absolutely no information whatsoever um, of these guys. Um, I doubt they were also inside that uh, that particular office uh, of Fritz where they uh, were interrogating Oswald. Um, I don't think they got the access. Um, so um, I'm really trying to find out with regards Robert Nash because Nash was inside that uh, that office of Fritz. Um, going back to the um, Secret Service, there's a two, or three other guys that uh, get a mention by me. One is Dave B. Grant. Uh, another, uh, who he writes, but he doesn't say that he was inside, but he was like at police headquarters and um, assisting uh, Sorrells and uh, and Kelly. I must not forget that Kelly wasn't in Dallas on that day. He had to fly in, so he didn't arrive until like late in the afternoon or early evening. And that's the same thing with all the other guys. Then there's a guy called Mike Howard. Uh, you can see some video on, uh, on of him where he gives a talk. And uh, he's probably the biggest disinfo clown uh, of the whole bunch. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's laughable um, that uh, 
what he's writing down. He does say that uh, he denied that emphatically up and down. They knew he did it, but he never did admit it, Howard said. He was very arrogant. Here we go, that, that word. Howard himself was involved with shielding Marina Oswald after the assassination and with Dave B. Grant, I think, as well. And then there's a guy called Charles Kunkel as well. I've got him recognized in a photo from the Dallas yeah. Times Herald. I thought that he was involved. sounded familiar with in, in he was involved. Marina, yeah. yeah. He was also uh, involved with the detail. That whole that whole thing is a chapter by itself, but they basically uh, they were they were protecting Marina on orders of LBJ. They wanted to make sure that uh, nothing uh, would happen uh, to him. So um, that that's roughly the participants. The documentation um, that I found so far, of course, is all in uh, in the paper. The you know I I see myself as a non-writer. So I put as much of the original documentation and the interviews in there as I can, just like the second floor uh, lunchroom encounter. I give my opinion on on bits this here and there. But uh, to me, it's like uh, the evidence that I've gathered in the shape of newspaper articles, uh, affidavits, uh, interviews, uh, like um, Malcolm Blunt gave me uh, William Manchester's interview uh, notes. Um you know, so um, they're very interesting because they're not exactly the same as what's written in the book. So uh, they're 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 definitely a really um, interesting read, and uh, I think uh, that's that's about it for uh, the first part. Uh, just to talk about these guys, I just you know, if you're interested in this, uh, if the listener is interested in it, I suggest you uh, download the uh, PDF from either uh, the DD Plaza UK uh, website. There's a link on the front page. If you scroll down a little bit and uh, there's a link, uh, if you go to my uh, prayer dash man.com, um, if you go to the diary section on the right hand side, uh, there's a um, uh, link towards it, uh, which is called uh, anatomy of Oswald's interrogations and such. Now for our next talk, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, the legal aspect of it. Uh, we're going to talk about Henry Wade, Bill Alexander, Barefoot Sanders. Um, we're going to talk about the uh, the guys that try to uh, represent him, the ACLU or the D- DCLU. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a guy called Charles Webster, very interesting guy, a bit of a mystery as well. We're going to talk about, especially about all the videos that uh, are actually around of Oswald um, asking for his legal rights, lawyers, pleading his innocence. Uh, you, you name it, basically. Um, um, maybe we should uh, get the audio uh, ripped out of that. And uh, we're going to talk about the lineups a little bit because uh, that was a farce by itself. And uh, we're gonna, I'm going to tell everyone why Oswald wasn't arraigned for the murder of JFK, even though uh, people claim he was. He wasn't. He was uh, only arraigned for the Tippett murder. And uh, this is the problem. They didn't have anything that could make it stick. They thought they had enough to make it stick on the Tippett murder, but they didn't have enough. They were worried. Fritz was worried. He said it to Lavelle that he was worried that he couldn't uh, make it stick. Or get a confession. Yeah. The the so-called top interrogator and uh, 
you know, him and Bill Decker, for instance. Yeah. Oh, though, by the way, yeah, the stuff I've got the sheriff's office. You have Bill Decker, who was a legend as uh, Fritz regarded as a legend as such. But uh, of course, at the sheriff's office as well was uh, Roger Craig. I believe Roger Craig, when it comes to Oswald's departure from the Texas School Book Depository, because of um, the 15 minutes as such. You see, the other day, somebody told me something, and I thought, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Now, I think everybody pretty much believes that the power was cut off during and just after the assassination. The lift wasn't working. Right. You know what, Rob? Rob? If yeah. the lift is if the lift isn't working, the Coca Cola machine doesn't work either. This is true. If the Coca Cola machine doesn't work either, how the hell is he getting that Coke out of that fridge? Walks down, and then nobody sees him with that Coke. And what does he do? Does he walk out with that Coke, that so-called Phantom Coke, <laughs> or does he guzzle it down in front of everybody? Now, if somebody if somebody did that. That would have been noticed by at least one person when they're walking. Um, I'm trying to find out more about, and if, if anyone listens and has information to this, is about the social setting of Dallas. I mean, I've got these crime figures and I've read about the racism bit, this, that and the other. But I'd like to know more about what Dallas police was actually like, because, of course, the way they present it, is anything but the truth as such, because I've already given you like a few examples with regards Tommy Lee Walker, Buell Frazier, um, you know, and the fact that they couldn't break Oswald as such. Uh, they just failed on that uh, aspect. Um, if anyone has any information regarding that, then they should email me. And the email address is meetthelonegunman at gmail.com. And I would appreciate a lot if you have any links to anything or books or know about anything whatsoever. I really would love to get my hands on it because the social aspect of it are actually determining the bigger picture of it all. And um, overall, I find that uh, Dallas police <laughs> lied their fucking ass off. <laughs> I can't yeah. I can't describe it any other way. They basically lied. I mean, Fritz as well in his in his um, statement. He basically said that Oswald usually had lunch on the second floor. That's total rubbish. The second, the domino room on the first floor, that was the lunch room for the workers and the blacks. Right. The book, because, the book company employees normally ate on the second floor, right? Exactly. Because it was much tidier. Because if you look at the pictures, right? It's whiter. Oh, it's whiter, but it's not whiter <laughs> and whiter, but also <laughs> definitely whiter. And yeah. It was much neater looking, the nice chairs. I mean, the thing, um, if you look at the pictures of the Texas School Book Depository that are in the Warren, Warren Commission report, then this whole first floor is just a dusty mess and old mm-hmm. furniture. And my God, it just looks well, it looks like a crap hole. And if you look at the second floor and also um, people like, uh, is it Harold Mormon? Harold Mormon said, the second floor lunchroom was for office workers and management only. And um, I doubt that these manual uh, workers, these these guys who took their shirts off and were working in T-shirts, right, and hung their shirts either in the basement 
or in the domino room would sit, have lunch in the second floor lunchroom as such. They weren't allowed. There's a class divide regarding that right. matter. There's a lot of people that forget about, but it's these are the elements that basically put things into the right perspective. Of course, Billy Lovelady and, and Oswald got their cokes. They probably got their cokes together or maybe just after each other. But after that, they were supposed to leave. They're not sitting down in that in that room. The whole thing about Carolyn Arnold saying that she saw him sitting there having lunch is absolute rubbish. It's just rubbish. It would never happen. Yeah. I yeah, just those don't guys believe were in, wearing their suits and ties and the women were in their dresses yeah. and yeah. it was a very officey type setting. Exactly. <clears throat> you know, and and from what I've read about when they first moved into the school book depository you know, the summer of 63, because they, they were, everybody was in the Dow Techs, and they were using, well, at least the book companies were, and they were using the other warehouse as the main warehouse. Yeah. They wanted, they wanted to consolidate operations, move all of the book companies in, and some of the warehousing. And yeah. they managed to redo, like refurbish, um, like the second, third, and fourth floor. Yeah. The rest of it was just as it was when they when they when they when they um when they got it. Yeah. You know, it used to be a dirty, uh, empty warehouse. You know, an air, an air conditioner factory or whatever it was before that. And you know, the floors were stained. That's why they were supposedly redoing the floors. You know, on the fifth floor, sixth floor, yeah. etc. And you know, like like you said, I'm sure the first floor was still in a lot of disrepair and very dirty and dingy. But the second, third, and fourth floors were very nice. They were already remodeled, and most all the book companies had moved from their Dow Techs over to the school book depository. You know, by the time of the assassination. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, it's um, it, that to me is uh, quite an important factor to get that whole social uh, element, because that sets the tone of 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 what's actually going on. And then when you read these statements, you just go, well, that strikes me as really odd, you know, of Oswald sitting there in the second floor lunchroom and having lunch. It just, it just doesn't rhyme at all. Because uh, like I said, you compare the pictures and you compare it with the statements, then, you know, something is just isn't right. And there's just, you know, not just the Dallas police lied. I think a lot of, Employees of the Texas School Book Depository were economical with the truth. Yeah. I think uh, the blacks were coerced. You know, uh, they knew better. Uh, yeah. They weren't going to stick their neck out. And by the way, who sticks their neck out for an employee that's been around for about five to six weeks? Nobody. You know? Nobody. Hardly anyone. You know, besides the workers, you know, knew him partially. The, the office workers knew him partially only from sight or maybe from interaction from getting change uh for the you know especially of, of being accused of killing the president <laughs> i mean you got to put it in the, in the you know the correct context if you're you know one of the black workers or any any other workers right there really um you want to distance yourself from this guy as much as possible i don't know nothing i didn't see nothing i've know, got an idea about this whole thing and to add on because here's the thing because they couldn't stick it about the president's murder. And at first, Oswald was basically arrested for Tippett's murder. And that's how it went. You see, when James Take was being 
it had his affidavit taken by Gus Rose. Um, Gus Rose said to him, He's, he shot a cop. Now, the cop killing happens somewhere completely different than the Texas School Book Depository. When the Texas School Book Depository workers are being interviewed at that time, and we're talking Love Lady, we're talking Bonnie Ray Williams, uh, Danny Garcia Arque, uh, you know, you know these guys. Yeah. I bet that they're basically being told that Oswald shot a cop. There's no talk about this whole JFK thing at all. No. Because as far as I'm concerned, if they'd said that, right, if they'd said that, like, this guy shot the president, right, some of them would have said, like, how can that be? Because I saw him standing on the stairs. Right. Or I saw him in the domino room as such. But when he basically, he's basically being stigmatized by the fact that he shot a cop. Now, it's the worst kind, of course, to kill a cop. I think it's even worse back then than it is now, you know? And I think that is a factor that needs to be considered as well. I'm not saying it's true, but I think like, well, I think for the fact that, A, Fritz said to Lavelle, have you got enough on him for Tippett? Yes, I do. Because of three, four so-called witnesses Mm -hmm. had ID'd him and so forth. And that puts a complete different strain on the whole Oswald being guilty matter, you know. And I think that they were they they do the president thing was either not going to happen, which it didn't because he didn't get arraigned at all. More about that in the second half. And um, that they basically just got it stuck on Tippett because they arraigned him on Tippett. um, What early evening as such. Yeah. And that's also when the second statements were taken. Lovelady had the statement taken at about two, three o'clock. And the second one was taken about six or seven o'clock, if I'm not mistaken. Shelley did a second statement as well. Because if you read their first statement, it's got absolutely nothing to do with Oswald whatsoever. And this is while he's brought in. You see, this is a really funny thing. Oswald's been brought in, but they're not saying a word about Oswald at all. And that's when Shelley is there because Shelley recognizes him and says he works at the Texas School Book Depository. Lovelady sees him being frog marched past him <laughs> while he's sitting inside the office, right? Yeah. And in these affidavits that they basically put down, there is not a word about Oswald whatsoever. Nothing. It's later on in the day, that's when actually they basically start blubbing about Oswald being such and how how long he's been there working, this, that, and the other, and when was the last time you saw him, etc., etc. They deny his alibi as such. And that's the thing. That's the main thing what the DPD, the FBI, and all the others did. They denied him his alibi as such. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue with it. And and that's why I love having you on, Bart. I mean, and folks out there, you can see why this guy is the researcher of the year last year for, for Lancer. The way you compile information and and put it together and and make it make sense in a logical manner is just second to none. I mean, we have all the information and we've had it for years, you know. But to actually put it all together and see what fits and see what's bullshit, you know, that's that's the game. Look at me as a just look at me as some deluded stamp collector (laughs) who's trying to 
there's nothing else what I do because the only thing I do is basically I'm trying to get all the available information. Now, of course, most of the statements have already been put out, but it's amazing what how many interviews like Roy Truly. Roy Truly gave quite a few interviews after. Oh, yeah. I know he talked to Barry Ernest. He talked to Man, uh, Manchester, William Manchester, but he talked to Holland McCombs. He talked to um, so, so a few other newspapers, Kent Biffle. Um, you know, when you um, just add it all up, Roy truly was a blabbermouth. And yeah. Um, yeah, but it's just a matter of uh, collecting it all, finding it, collecting it, and basically putting it all side by side. Um and uh, even like uh, recently, I got a Roy Truly interview where he basically claims that Oswald ate his lunch in the second floor lunchroom. It's just total rubbish. It's a bare-faced lie. But then again, Truly was lying left, right, and center anyway, um, especially during the Warren Commission uh, uh, testimony. And um, um, uh, this is another thing um, I'm going to add to my second floor lunchroom encounter essay. This is going to be the third update, and that's the fact that. Uh, the lunchroom encounter wasn't uh, put forward until the 23rd. The first news report was just before lunchtime. It was a 10 to 1 at the Associated Press, basically put out a bulletin where um, it was basically said that there was an encounter in the second floor lunchroom. So between 2 o'clock in the afternoon on the 22nd till 10 to 1 on the 23rd, there isn't a word about this. Now, when you start going back through Truly's uh, affidavits, the majority are done on the 23rd. And that's understandable because Roy Truly was, of course, all day at the Texas School Book Depository. Now, there's one FBI affidavit where it does mention this and it's uh, where he mentions the second floor lunchroom kind of, and where it says that it was dictated on the 22nd. Now, this could have only been done either really late in the evening or FBI send an agent to the Texas School Book Depository as such. Um, I don't have the answer to that yet, but um, um, there's definitely uh, not a word about this whole second floor lunchroom encounter until uh, the 23rd. And that's quite interesting because that would have been like, I mean, Baker would have made a mention of that, and which he didn't because Baker said in his first affidavit that it was on the third and the fourth floor. That by itself is already enough to basically discount the uh, encounter. Um, and especially also while Baker, I've mentioned this before, Baker sits in the same room while Oswald's being interrogated. And it's Baker also who who, who mentions in this uh, HSCA uh, interview in the 70s that uh, uh, once he's um, um, accused of killing the president, he says, that's absurd. I want a lawyer. I want a lawyer. Yeah. I love it. And, and they can find this, uh, they can go download the PDF for that also yeah. at Dealey Plaza UK, right? And your website? Yes. Both both, both papers are now um, available through my website. You can go to the front page and they're mentioned there. Uh, if you just scroll down a little bit, they're mentioned there. They've got yellow links. You can click on them and it will take you. Those are on my site. Or you can go to uh, the Dealey Plaza UK um, website, which is a uh, which is a, f- a fun group I, uh, I'm part of. And uh, I'm going to be doing a talk about this uh, in April in Canterbury. Uh, it's two and a half days of just pure JFK stuff. So it's good fun. 
and um, yeah, you can download it from both sites. So uh, go and, for it. And you can go back and, and listen to episode 124 of this very show um, to hear Bart talking about it here on the radio as well. Debunking the second floor lunchroom encounter. Yeah, that's episode 124. Yeah, that was fun. Definitely. And so was this, Bart. And I can't wait to have you back, buddy. And we'll get back all, into all this interrogation goodness. And yeah. uh, I guess in about a week or two, uh, people yeah. out there, look for it, listen for it, and I'll be back. Bart, thank you so much for stopping by again and Good kicking before. off the Lungumman podcast again, my friend. <laughs> this good fun. Most definitely. Hey, you hang on the line for me, okay? I'm going to talk us out. Everybody, it's great to be back. It feels good. The time is right. This son bitch is in the can. Being booked the satellite down directly to your ears, people. This is your boy. Peace. right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, the moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.